Welcome to the State Support Team 11 podcast. I'm your host, Derek Neal. Today, we are joined by Dr. Gabrielle Hicks. Dr. Hicks is a translational researcher at the Center on Education and Training for Employment, CETE, at The Ohio State University. Welcome, Dr. Hicks. How are you today? I'm doing fabulous. So happy to be here. It's great to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do at the Center on Education and Training for Employment? Sure. Um, so I'm involved in a variety of things. Um, we have projects all over Ohio um, in a variety of different partners. And so I've been involved with project management, um, consultation. I am a licensed school psychologist. So um, I use a lot of that background and experience to support a lot of our educational projects. Um, and a few of the ones that I've contributed to the most to would be uh, the Parent Mentor Project, Ohio Parent Mentor Project, and um, the Staying and Thriving Project here at Ohio State University. So I've done a variety of things, professional development, um, and really just offering support related to a lot of the expertise that I've built um, in my education. Great. So you uh, mentioned the Parent Mentor Project. Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. So the Ohio Parent Mentor Project has been around for just about 30 years. And um, so this is a project where parents who have had um, or who have students who have been identified um, as uh, needing special education, these parents offer support um, and are literal mentors to other parents who are going through the process, maybe for the first time, or they also provide ongoing support for these families. Just to navigate special education, it's definitely a um, lengthy and um, often very involved process that requires a lot of knowledge and language and all sorts of things. And so uh, the parent mentors are really that um, connecting piece for a lot of these families to really feel supported and encouraged um, as they navigate the process and ultimately for the advancement of the student and their um, achievement and success. So. Yeah, that has to be uh, really beneficial because uh, I, th I think for People have never had to work with, you know, trying to go through the IEP process or things like that. It can just be really challenging. And, you know, if you're not super confident and comfortable in the school setting, you know, that can add other layers to it. So I think it's really a great help to have them and have them trained by people that are experts like you. Absolutely, absolutely. We've done a variety of things from um, helping them with understanding um, how to engage families, how to um, help the families to feel empowered. Um, I've done cult culturally responsive practices, trainings with them, um, just really building their skill set and tool belt so that they can really be um, an excellent resource for, for families. Well, definitely. So, you know, equity is a, a big topic these days. You know, I, I'm sure that the parent mentor program really addresses that, but how, how else are you kind of embedding equity into the different initiatives at the center? Yes, so SEAT is um, huge on equity and one of their uh, biggest uh, ways of really capturing this here is through the Ready Movement. And so that started um, a couple of years ago and uh, the Ready Movement really focuses on building um, the capacity of all of our staff to be able to understand equity and to um, really be in the pursuit of equity and social justice in every aspect of our work. 
Um, and so READI stands for Racial Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, so R-E-D-I. And um, it has, um, it started with just a small team that put it together and, um, you know, set up what, what this looks like. So we have a framework that we uh, work from. Um, it focuses on four levels. So the intrapersonal within ourselves, the work we do within ourselves and our understanding interpersonal um, is our uh, increasing our understanding through dialogue with um, colleagues, um, structured dialogue. And then we also have the, um, what do we have? I know we have societal, <laughs> institutional, that's the first one <laughs> before that. The third level is institutional, so looking at our policies and practices here at C and making sure they are also lining up with what we're, you know, what our goals are toward equity and social justice. And then societal is looking at all of the partners and um, people that we work with, all of the spheres of influence that we, we touch, making sure that we also take those um, tenants and really make sure that they're uh, applied across uh, society as well. So Ready Movement is um, dynamic. It's definitely our prized possession here. If you ask pretty much anybody here, we are all um, just so excited about the work that is done and really making um, racial equity, diversity, and inclusion the forefront, not an accident, not, you know, just something that we talk about once um, and then kind of put it down. This is something that, you know, we have a steering team that constantly does the work, um, but then also a number of us are involved in different things, critical allies groups, where we continue discussion and look at, you know, issues in society, issues within our workplace, and um, approach it from that equity lens. So that is a huge part of our work here at C. Yeah, that's so important because, um, you know, especially in education, there, there are so many initiatives or different things that get thrown at people that there's a real risk that equity becomes just one more thing. And right. I think approaching it from that framework perspective and being very intentional about it and, and saying, we're gonna, we're gonna attack this from all of the different areas that uh, are affected by that and then make it more uh, about the way that we do things in our work in those settings rather than just a thing that we do. Exactly. That's gonna give us a way better chance of, of, of seeing the outcomes that we're looking for. Right. Yep. And it's the accountability piece. So, you know, we really take the responsibility of it. Like I said, it's not just one meeting that we do one time. There's this accountability of almost auditing ourselves, right? So we also have a process going on right now, the team inventory, um, equity inventory process, where um, we, we have different teams within the center. And so we have um, a group of our core ready um, staff members that are going around helping different teams essentially audit their current practices and look for gaps that are contributing to a lack of equity and helping them to, to mitigate that and really um, almost, you know, improve, you know, and, and, and really go after that social justice um, and equity lens that we say we're after. Yeah, that, that kind of leads me into thinking about MTSS, right? Like, so that, that's another huge topic and, and thing that is being talked about at the state level, you know, they're working on that. And, and you know, what, what are some of the ways that yeah. districts can make sure that they're attending to equity issues as they develop their mm -hmm. frameworks? Yes, MTSS is definitely something that um, is critical. It's been talked about this multi-tiered system of supports. Um, and a lot of times it's actually very new for it to be talked about really from an equity perspective, right, and really as a tool for equity. Um, so we look at it for a variety of different things and, you know, getting our systems to where we want them to be, but really it is an excellent tool for equity. And so some of those ways are really looking at um, tier one, um, which is just your 
system-wide, your full school, and looking at what kind of processes are in place and are we meeting the needs of all of our students or is it just the handful that are really benefiting? Um, and so a, a very clear and concrete way to do that is looking at the data. Um, one thing about my profession and even the work that I do now, database decision-making is a, is a core tenant of that and really progress monitoring as well, looking at, you know, what are we doing now? Is it getting us closer to our goals or, or further away? And so auditing your own data, looking at um, discipline data is a huge one um, that oftentimes will reveal lack of equity. Um, and really looking at um, disaggregating your data, so that's splitting it up by race um, and looking at a lot of these core groups um, and being explicit about that and saying, okay, what are the numbers here? You know, are these proportional to um, the amount of Black students that we have, for example, in our population? If we only have 30% Black students, they shouldn't be 80 to 90% represented in a discipline um, for the school. And so some of those uh, critical ways of analyzing your data is really where you start to start that conversation um, of, you know, where are the gaps, where's the lack of equity, and then also looking at which families are really engaged um, in your educational practices in your school. Um, if there are certain groups or if the same, you know, group of parents are always there and are always involved, then that's also another, you know, flag up that, you know, there are certain families who it is very easy for us to make an assumption, right, and make a story for why parents aren't involved, but a lot of times they haven't been given the opportunity. Um, the school, you know, maybe is, is, you know, routine, right? We have our ways about going, of, of engaging families and go, going about things, but sometimes we have to look at our practices and say, are we adjusting to the population that we have? Are we adjusting to the people that we're actually serving and not just necessarily working from what we assume will work, but um, looking at our, our population in our community and serving their specific needs. Yeah, I love that you you said it's really about focusing on tier one. Yeah. Um, I, I think because we've we've had this intervening mindset, you know, if it's through RTI or or whatever we've been working on for the last you know twenty or thirty years, the the idea is that we we just we do what we do. I teach it, and then if you don't get it, I'm handing you off. Like it's it's not my my problem. That release of of responsibility at the building level, but also in that classroom level, and I think it's it's so important there to think about what what can we as adults do? What changes can we make to approach these things in a way that give all students, regardless of if they have a disability or, or, or socioeconomically disadvantaged or from a certain you know race or ethnic group or any of these things, and like how can we put these things in place in tier one and in, in that climate culture side or in that academic side so that we're giving everybody a, a, an opportunity, an equitable opportunity to, to get that instruction that they need. And I understand too, I just uh, did a training last week where I had some educators be honest and say, you know, the, the perfect NTSS triangle looks nice. You know, we want 80 to 90% of our population to fall into tier one and to respond to tier one. But a lot of times, especially looking at um, the results of, you know, the pandemic we've been in the last couple of years and all of the different, um, you know, things that impact schools, a lot of times we have these inverted triangles, right, where our 80 to 90 percent are falling in tier two and tier three. And so, you know, we're kind of panicking. Um, but I do always um, come back to tier one because at the end of the day, we can put a lot of our money and resources in tier two and three like we have traditionally. Um, but a lot of times, even with the same amount of money, if we uh, ration it in such a way where we're really building up and supporting tier one, um, that alone is an excellent tool for equity. 
Oh, definitely. Kind of shifting gears a little bit. Can you uh, tell us about staying and thriving? Yes. I mentioned it a little bit in the beginning, but um, this is one of the projects that, I mean, I love talking about all the things that I've brought up, but staying and thriving was an, uh, an excellent opportunity um, just to witness and so it's something that we did within the College of Education and Human Ecology at Ohio State. This is for undergraduate Black women. Um, there's been several studies and data and actually our project lead did her dissertation research on this, Dr. Kenyana Walker, um, of looking at the, um, the things that impact uh, retention for undergraduate Black women in the College of Education, specifically at Ohio State, um, and, you know, them pursuing and, and getting to the end of the degree, right? What kinds of things do they need? What resources have they shared that they need in order to um, in order to reach that goal? And so what we did was design a project and, um, you know, essentially put into place the things that these women have said, this is exactly what I need. This is what um, would support me. And so um, we provided professional development. We did what we call sister circles, which was opportunities for them to connect with each other, to build relationships within the college. Um, we had uh, a time every month that we would get together and do a lot of these things. We would eat a meal together and um, really just building those relationships. And our um, research team was all uh, doctorate level black women who work within the college and so that alone was a touch point for the students to see these you know black women that are right here in their college that are um, a support and a resource for them and then they also had a graduate student mentors um, so a near peer that was able to guide them um, and give them additional support throughout the month um, and really help them um, you know meet their goals meet their personal and professional goals and have that more one-to-one -one kind of a relationship um, so we were able to do a lot and we just launched it um, in January. So it went for five months and it was wildly successful and we're looking at hopefully being able to bring it back and then have um, even a larger cohort of black women because it was very clear to us and through what they shared with us that it really made a huge impact for the educational experience. The thing I love the most about that is these are people who are, are going into the profession that are going to be going in the classrooms where you have a lot of students who probably are going to have be facing the same kind of challenges just at that elementary, middle, or high school level. And so not, not only are, are they getting the benefit of being able to go through the program and, and graduate and go on to be employed, they'll intrinsically know how to approach these challenges for their own students as well. So it's gonna have a really uh, effect that spreads out, not, not just for them personally, which is amazing and great on its own, mm -hmm. but out to classrooms full of kids every single year. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're hoping that at some point this program does turn into some sort of a pipeline where we are supporting, um, let's say high school age um, black women and, um, essentially standing in the gap between high school and college, right? So further connecting that, that streamline to, um, to degree completion. So it's definitely an awesome opportunity. That's, that's great. I love hearing <laughs> that. Um, so you're doing a virtual professional development event for us on September 14th. Uh, can you preview what you'll be covering? Yes, 
Uh, we are so looking forward to that. I really um, think this will be a excellent knowledge base um, and really a time to build your skills and knowledge around trauma-informed practices. But um, although that will be a major component of uh, our time together, I'm really starting with the bare basics, right? The, the foundations that are needed to um, really understand about education before we can get into even understanding trauma-informed practices. So we'll talk about um, equity, what that is, what that means, especially to work in education. Uh, we'll discuss implicit bias and how that has played a role in equity and outcomes in education. And then uh, we'll get into trauma-informed practices and even equity-centered trauma-informed practices, um, how we look at uh, trauma-informed practices from an equitable lens, from an asset-based lens, rather than um, it being a deficit approach. And then um, we'll get into the core tenets of MTSS. It's always a hit or miss. Um, I just did, like I said, a training last week where I asked who had heard of MTSS or was using it, and about two people in a room of maybe 80 or 90 raised their hand. So I always go back to really understanding MTSS and um, you know what that looks like, but then also um, making it really practical, right? Having a three-tiered mindset, what it, what it means to really apply MTSS to just an understanding of system-wide practices. And then weapons of mass destruction um, is another one that we'll talk about. I don't want to get into that one too much and kind of reveal, but that really is talking about the things that can stand in the way, um, the kind of mindsets or biases that can stand in the way of us really achieving an equ equitable outcomes. Um, so we'll get into all of that and hopefully set up for, we do have the mind to hopefully do um, some additional things building off of phase one, um, that virtual experience and training together. Um, but we'll talk about that more when we, when we, when we get there. Um, but I'm hoping for sure that at least those who come really leave with an understanding of race and equity um, and education, implicit bias, and then trauma-informed practices. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's, it's needed and it's uh, you know, just at the right time as well as you know, more and more people are starting to think about implementing uh, MTSS in their districts. Well, if people would like to know more about you and the work that you do, where should they go? Yes. Um, so the main place to find um, any articles or things like that that are attached to me would be through SEAT's website. So SEAT um, is C-E-T-E dot O-S-U dot E-D-U. That is our main website. And there's all sorts of things on there. They did an article when I first came in in August of last year that really details even more about my background, my experience. Um, and then uh, the other place that I try to keep pretty updated is Twitter. Um, so I am on Twitter at Gabrielle Hicks underscore. And then from there, you should be able to link to my LinkedIn account as well. And um, I post some things on there as well and try to keep that up to date. So those are the places, at least right now, that you can find me. That's great. Well, thanks again for joining us, Dr. Hicks. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. That wraps up this episode of the State Support Team 11 podcast. If you'd like to know more about us and the work that we do here at SST 11, go to our website, sst11.org. Give us a call at 614-753-4694 or hit us up on Twitter. We're at SST Region 11. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I'm at eric.neal at esccoorg. Until next time, I'm Eric Neal. Thanks for listening.